Good morning, everybody. My name is Jacob, and I am one of the ministers here at the Tri-Valley Church of Christ. We are in a sermon series going through the book of Ephesians called We Grow Together, and we are going to continue doing this uh, series that we've started. So we're going to be in Ephesians 4 this week, and we're going to listen to the words of the Apostle Paul as he gives some practical advice for what it means to follow Jesus, not just individually, but as the body of Christ together. Some of you at this point might be thinking, is it just me or was the series called We Go Together? Because Jacob certainly made a big deal about going together and, you know, we go together as connected, we go as in traveling. Yes, I changed it this week uh, because of the text and because of what we're going to hear Paul talk about. Uh, we grow together is what you're, we're going to be focusing on this week. Uh, so we're going to talk about growth a little bit. And I want to start by asking a question. This is not a hypothetical or rhetorical question. This is an actual question that I want an actual answer for. How old is the Tri-Valley Church of Christ? Does anybody know? Over 50. 50. Over 50. Evie, what do you think? <laughs> she says she thinks it's over 70 because she talked to one of the elders. I... We had a, when I first came here, we had a timeline with like a history, and we were celebrating, I think, the 60th, and so that was 10 years ago, so we're pushing 70 or somewhere around there. I think it's, it's 70 years as a church, uh, as far as the age goes, but that is if you take that question to mean how many years since the first worship service until the current worship service. There's other ways of answering that question, how old is Tri-Valley? Sometimes when you ask, now I'm being rhetorical, so... Zip it. Uh, <laughs> sometimes when you ask, oh wait, John's got something. We'll we'll see. We used to be on Walnut Avenue, and then a group of people moved over here to the property where we're at now on East Avenue. Yes, I've seen old pictures of that, and a lot of you not not a, not a lot of you, but some of you were here since the founding of the building here at this location. Some of you guys go way back. And that's exciting, and that's awesome. So 70 years as a church. But another way to ask a question, how old is a church? Somebody might say, oh, it's a, you might say the average age of the person at your church. is in like, oh, that's an older congregation. It's got more old folks. Or that's a young congregation with lots of young folks and their, their ripped jeans. And uh, that's one way to answer that question as well. Sometimes uh, you will be at a restaurant that's fancy with a white tablecloth, and you'll be sitting across from your, your wife, and uh, she will ask you the question, how old are you? But she's not looking for how many years you've been alive. She's wondering because maybe you uh, were acting silly at, in this fancy restaurant. Maybe you did some things to embarrass her. And she will say, how old are you, Jacob? Or whatever your name is. That's what she'll say to you. This is not a, based on a true story from my life. But she's not looking for an average age and she's not looking for a number of years. She's asking a different question altogether right? The question of how mature are you? And that's maybe what I want to get at this morning. We can ask, how old are you, Tri-Valley? How mature are you? If age is growth relative to time, then maturity is growth relative to potential or expectations, where you're supposed to be at this point in your development. That's the question I want us to be thinking about this morning as we hear this next section of Ephesians. It's going to help us answer that question. Where should we be and how do we get there? Not just as individuals, but as a whole body. So let's take a look at where Paul leads us 
in this thought process. There's kind of a lot going on in these verses, so I'm going to take it a few verses at a time. We're kind of going to go section by section. I'll point out some things, and hopefully this will make sense and kind of steer us all in the same direction. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And then this parenthetical comment. Well, what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. If I'm reading through Ephesians in one sitting, this is a section I kind of gloss over and go, I don't really know what you're talking about, Paul. You're kind of talking to yourself, and it's making sense to you, but I don't really get it. And if that's how you feel about this section, let's unpack it a little bit. Um, Paul is actually quoting a psalm here. And you can see this in your Bible, if you're looking in your Bible, and after the uh, took many captives and gave gifts to his people, I have a little footnote, and I go down to the bottom, and it tells me, oh, this is a quotation from Psalm 68. And sometimes when I'm reading Scripture, I say, okay, good, Psalm 68, good to know. But I don't always go back and look at Psalm 68 and read it for myself. I would encourage you to do that, especially if you have time. It's very illuminating. And if you had done this, with this particular verse, you would realize that Paul kind of misquotes the psalm. Because in Psalm 68, it does not say that he uh, took many captives and gave gifts to his people. It says he took many captives and received many gifts from his people. And that's the opposite of what's being said here. So you might be going, well, what's going on? I took a confusing verse and made it even more confusing. Wasn't that nice of me? I think what Paul is doing here is something that rabbis did pretty often, and that is they would appropriate Old Testament scriptures, and they would kind of interpret them in light of what's going on. They would, they would be faithful to the text and give it a new meaning. And you might think, well, if he changed the text, how is he being faithful to the text? Well, if you go back and you do read all 36 verses of Psalm 68, you see that this is a passage about a generous, loving, benevolent king. It's an enthronement psalm. It says, God, you are great, and you have won the victory, and here's all these good things that you're doing, and you don't just take this power so that you can bless yourself. You have this power, and then you use it to bless the people that you're over, because you're a good king. You're not a tyrant. You are a good giver. And this makes sense. When we remember Paul said, bless the blesser for the blessings he gives. And now he's tapping into this Psalm 68, where in this particular verse that he quotes, it doesn't say that he gave gifts, but in other parts of the psalm, he does say that. In Psalm 68, 9 and 10, it says, God, you gave abundant showers. You refreshed your weary inheritance. Your people settled in the land, and from your bounty you provided for the poor. So it still fits. God is a good God, a good giver, and he gives good gifts. So we shouldn't be surprised, Paul is saying, that Christ who is also a good God, who also ascended to this place of power and authority, that what he does when he gets there is not just bless himself, but he uses that position to bless his people because he's a good giver in the same way. So we ask the question then, what does Christ do with this high position? And the answer is, he gives. We may wonder, what does he give? And that's what the next section tells us. He gives gifts. Good gifts to his people. Let's read on. So, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers 
to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The gifts that Christ gives are people. They are people gifts. They are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I want to just pause here and give some definitions to some of these terms, because these sound like Bible words, and we want to make sure that we know what we're talking about. We may be familiar with some of these things, and we've heard them, but I'm going to tell you what, what I hear when I see these things and what we're talking about in this passage. Apostles comes from the Greek word apostello, which means to be sent or to send, someone who is sent out. So if you are an apostle, uh, you have been sent by God. If we take the Great Commission seriously, Jesus said, go and make all disciples, or make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. If we've heard that and we think that applies to us, guess what? We are apostles. We have been sent, we have been commissioned and sent out. Um, and there's examples of these in the church. And Paul refers to him himself as an apostle pretty often, you might remember. Prophets. When you think of a prophet, you might think of someone from the Old Testament, like Jonah or Isaiah, who had this burden from God, a word from the Lord, and they went and they preached this message to the people. A prophet is anybody who speaks on behalf of God. They hear what God has to say, and they transmit it to a group of people. Sometimes a willing and excited group of people that says, yes, we'll do that. Sometimes to a reluctant group of people who's not so sure if they want to do that. You get examples of prophets in the church, in places like 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where there's women prophesying in the assembly, and people are going, it's not so orderly, we need to put some rules on this and figure this out, but here we have uh, men and women prophesying. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit's received at Pentecost, they go back and they quote one of the Old Testament prophets, Joel, who says, your, um, your sons and daughters will prophesy, the old men will dream dreams. Nod your head if you remember that part, and you're not, I'm not just making this up. Prophets are people who speak for God. Evangelists come from the Greek word euangelion, which is the person who travels and gives the good word that the victory has been won. I mentioned this before. In, in ancient Greece, if there was a battle between two nations, they would send a runner and to give the results of the victory. And they would run and they'd go back to the town and they would say, good news, we've won, we're victorious, we don't have to worry anymore, we have conquered. So... When Christ was raised from the dead, uh, Christianity commandeered this term and said, okay, the people who hear about this good news and are sent out with this word of Christ's victory over death, guess what they're called? Evangelists. They're the runners. They're the people who bear the good news. Piece of trivia, who's the first evangelist? Do you remember? According to scripture? I won't tell you. I'll let you go home and look for yourself. Or talk about it after church, but think about that one. Who was the first Evangelist, the first person to run and tell people about the empty tomb, the good news that Jesus was alive. Teachers. Did I skip one? Pastors. <laughs> Pastors are people who care for God's people. Kind of like uh, we have shepherds in our congregation. But this is anybody who cares for the people of God, shows concern for brothers and sisters. Teachers. This isn't just somebody who stands up with notes and teaches in a class or a lecture type of thing. Like we said last week, a teacher is somebody who can model faith, somebody who shows somebody else what it means to be faithful, to live a life uh, faithful to Christ. So, these are the gifts. 
Christ ascends on high, and then he gives these people gifts. And the gifts are um, people that are in our church today. There's a problem, though, when sometimes we read this passage. There's a temptation to see these as official titles. And if you do that, you can eliminate yourself from a lot of these things pretty quickly. I'm not an Old Testament prophet, so I'm probably not a prophet. I wasn't one of the 12 apostles, so I'm probably not an apostle. I haven't taught a class, so I'm not a teacher. I'm not a Tri-Valley shepherd, so I'm not going to be one of those pastors. We kind of use this as a way to say, none of the above. He gave these gifts, and I'm glad that the church has them, but that's not me. I must just do something else. I want us to rethink that this morning. I want you to think about this list not as a list of official titles, but as a list of the kinds of people that are working in our church every day, every week. These are not just the professionals. This is the whole body of Christ doing the work of ministry. I think that this very church is made up of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. When I became the preaching minister at this congregation uh, about three years ago, I was advised by some wise people to give leadership away. Don't do all the preaching. Don't try to control everything. Don't do everything for yourself. But empower people to do the kinds of ministry that they're passionate about. Use your position to support people and equip them and release them to do the various ministries that they want to do to bless the body of Christ. That's something that I'm trying to do. I think some weeks I do that better than others. But that's just so that you know what my expectation of myself is. I see myself as an equipper and trying to send out the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to do the work of the body here at Tri-Valley. Uh, if I haven't done a good job of that, and you're saying, hey, I'd love to be part of that, but I don't really know where to start. I don't know where I can serve. I don't know how to use my gifts. Then come and talk to me, because I want to do a better job of equipping you. And what you might discover is that it's something new that you haven't done before. You may discover that it's something in addition to something that you're already doing. And that brings me to another caution that I should mention when it comes, how, comes to how this passage has been applied in churches in the past. One approach, like I just mentioned, is you look at this list and you go, none of the above. But another danger is looking at this list and going, one of the above. I'm one of these things. There's this list of options, and I'm going to figure out which one of them best suits me. And sometimes we use scriptures like this to figure out which one and only one thing we are. We can treat this passage like a personality test. How many of you have ever done the, the Myers-Briggs personality test or the Enneagram, and you've kind of answered a bunch of questions, and then they say, this is the kind of person you are. There's even spiritual gifts inventories that people will use to kind of go like, ah, oh, this is my wheelhouse. This is my thing, and this is what I'm going to do. Those things are helpful. I think that they're good. They can help you figure out what your personality is, is suited for and the kind of work you can do in the church. Uh, it's fun to figure out what type you are and how you relate to other types. That can be really helpful in interpersonal relationships. But I think they're only helpful to a certain point. And then we have to be cautious with these kinds of passages because there's a temptation in that to say, okay, I figured out what my one thing is and you guys all take care of the rest. And I don't think that's being faithful to the we go together, we grow together theme of Ephesians that we're seeing throughout. Sometimes we take some of Paul's other descriptions of the body of Christ in places like Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 13. How many of you were thinking about that as we've been talking about the body of Christ? Yes, there's all these gifts, there's serving, there's teaching, there's encouraging. 
Sometimes we'll take those and we'll just identify the one thing that we do and we camp out there. So it's not just the one thing we do, it becomes the only one thing we do. And you'll hear people say things like, well, I'm an encourager, so I don't have to be a teacher. Or they'll say, my gift is giving money, and I support those who evangelize because I just don't know how. Sometimes people will say, I'm a social person, so I bring people to church, I invite friends a lot of the time, so that the people with the gift of teaching can tell them about Jesus. But do you see the problem here? Just the one thing is kind of limiting yourself. The old King James translation of this passage, Ephesians 4.11, kind of contributes to this misunderstanding. You may have grown up on this passage. You may have heard it before. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. The version that we read here said, uh, And he gave the apostles. He gave the prophets. This is the gift that Jesus gives, but instead, the King James says, he gave some to be this, some to be this, some to be this, these people over here, these people over here, and it begins to sound kind of like the sorting hat from Harry Potter, where you take a whole group of people and you say, you're over here, you're a Gryffindor, that means you can't be a Slytherin, so the Slytherins are over here, the Hufflepuffs are over here, and never the twain shall meet. There's a temptation to look at this list and say, well, which one am I? Give me a lane so that I can stay in it. And a lot of times when people choose their one thing, it ends up being the thing that you're already good at and that doesn't stretch you very much. It's a place where you can find uh, comfort and ease. Let me ask you a question, though, with that approach. Look at this list and tell me which one of these things was the Apostle Paul. If you were going to put him into just one category, one house, where would Paul go? He was an apostle, he was an evangelist, he was a prophet, I think, yeah, he did all of these things. So I don't think the point of what he's saying here is like, figure out the thing, because I'm the evangelist. He's done all of these things. There's opportunity for us to do more than just one thing. Breaking these up into exclusive categories ignores the we that is such an emphasis throughout Ephesians. And Paul isn't even focusing here on what makes these roles distinct. It's not like a breakdown so you can figure out where you go. Instead, he's bringing these up to show what these things have in common. And what do all five of these things have in common? They're all gifts from Christ, and they're all given for the purpose of building up the church. It's less about our individual measurements of Christian maturity and more about how well we as a body are living into the fullness of Christ, which is what he's talking about here. Uh, listen to this passage again. These are the purpose of these things. These are the, why he gave these gifts. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So it's important to see how these relate to the whole body. But how we grow together is connected to how we mature individually in Christ as well. So it's, there's an individual component and there's an everybody component. They sort of work in conjunction with each other. And this next section is going to show us how. Paul says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. 
And from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. There's individuals doing things, and that contributes to the whole body doing things. You guys remember the video I showed you last week of the marching band that moved together to form this football player? And it wasn't just like, cool, it's the shape of a football player. Then they started marching in formation, and the football player moved and kicked a field goal. And we were like, that's awesome. That's what the church is supposed to be. Think about this image and listen again to this sentence. The whole body, joined together, held together by every supporting ligament, grows, builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Here's another illustration. This is my daughter, Leah. She is two years old. And when we take her into the doctor, they measure her, they weigh her, they, how high are you, how tall are you, uh, how big is your head, and you, this is something that doctors do. And then they put it on a chart, and they try to project out, okay, she's this big now, is she where she's supposed to be? Well, yeah, for a two-year-old, this is right where she needs to be. But then they can say, based on how she's been growing, we can see how she's going to grow. Sometimes they'll tell you, this is, what, this is how tall she might be when she's at her tallest, or this is what she's on track to doing. If she's, uh, something is stunting her growth, or if she's not getting the nutrition she needs, they'll, they'll pay attention to that on this chart, and they'll say, oh, uh, you may want to change some things because she's not reaching her full potential. And if Leah stayed two feet tall her whole life, there might be something wrong, and we may need to examine that. Well, in the same way, I think Christians were not meant to have the same relationship with God that they had in their first year following Jesus. I think we are supposed to grow. And as we grow individually, we grow together as Christ's body. We grow together by doing the work that God called us to do. This is what Paul is talking about here. He's giving some examples of what this work looks like. If you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, when God created humans, he gave them work to do. He told them, care for the creation, be fruitful, subdue the earth, cultivate it, care for it. He didn't just say, here's a nice place for you to sit around and wait. He said, I've got a purpose for you. I've got some jobs that I want you to do that will bless you, and it's going to bless the creation itself. And I think in the same way, when Christ recreated us, when we became new creations in the kingdom of Christ, he gave us work to do in the world as well. And it's work that will result in the growth of the kingdom of God and increasing the knowledge of Christ in the world. It's the continuing work of Christ. That's our standard of maturity, and that's our growth goal as a body of Christ. That work that he gave us to do involves being sent out into the world as ambassadors for Christ. It involves speaking words of truth and life on behalf of God. It involves sharing the good news that Jesus is alive and that he's a good king who gives good gifts. It involves caring for each other and caring for others. And it involves teaching people about Jesus. Again, not just with our sermons and our lessons, but with our lives as models and examples of what it means to be faithful. So, a good question for us to ask ourselves corporately this morning is, how are we doing? How old are you? How are we growing? If our church went in for a checkup, the way that we take Leah in for a checkup, where would we be on our growth chart? Would the doctor say, oh, we're right on track for attaining the full measure of Christ? 
Or would the doctor say, there are some things that are stunting our growth, and maybe we need to look into those things. Some of the attitudes that I mentioned earlier in this message, I think can be growth stunting for a congregation. One of them, focusing on your own spiritual growth without considering how it factors into the growth of the body as a whole, that's something that can stunt your growth for a congregation. Doing just one thing and then stopping is something that can stunt your growth. And then thinking that ministry is something that is only done by the paid church staff or those with titles, like, that's you, that's your thing. My thing is something else. That can stunt church growth as well. And there are people in churches who have been following Christ for years, but are actually spiritual infants. And this is a problem. This is, this is the harsh part. This, is the, this may sound like finger pointing or stone throwing, but I don't mean it to be. I'm not saying you, or it might be you, but I'm saying that this is something that I can be susceptible to as well. This is something that we all need to examine in our own lives. Just because I preach sermons doesn't mean that I'm growing in maturity and unity with the body. As a matter of fact, it's easy for a preacher to hide out in the preacher study and to read the word and go, ah, I love sermons and I love the Bible and I read commentaries and wouldn't it be fun if I used this as an illustration? It's easy for me to hide out and say that's my one thing that I do and neglect relationships or visitation or prayer ministry. That's something that I'm working on. I'm not believing what I'm saying. I don't think it's my one job as your preaching minister just to preach. But I want to do whatever comes up as an opportunity to serve in this congregation. There's work for me to be done that God is calling me to as a member of this body. And I think the same applies for you as well. So, you may notice sometimes when I introduce myself, when I get up here, I say, my name is Jacob and I'm one of the ministers here at Tri-Valley. I think the same thing every time I say that, but I wonder what it is you think when I say that. If you hear me say, I'm one of the ministers here at Tri-Valley, and you think, yeah, one of two, Jacob and Justin, the youth minister and the preaching minister, one of the two ministers. That's not what I think when I say that. Whenever, and I mean each and every time when I say, I'm one of the ministers here, I, I say, one among over 100 individuals who are gifted, who are called, who are capable, who are serving this body in numerous different ways. That's what I mean. I think that we are all ministers of the Tri-Valley Church of Christ. I think we're all called to be ministers. And as a reminder of this, I want to do something tangible to, to send you off with. Um, look in the bin under the seat in front of you and pull out one of these cards, if you would. Everybody go ahead and do that right now. There should be plenty. You can have two if you want. And, and get a pen, too, because I'm going to ask you to write on this card. This is a uh, please join us card. We had a bunch of these printed up. It's got the church website on it. It's got our address. This is something that you could easily carry around with you, hand out to people as a way of inviting them to come and worship with us or to come to know more about what our congregation is about by visiting the website. This is just an easy thing that um, you could hand off. And we want you to do this. But on the one that you're holding right now, I want you to take it Take a pen, and in the space that's right above the office phone number that I've indicated up here, nice blank space for you, I want you to write your name. And I want you to write minister. Because that is what you are, and I thought you should have a business card 
that says as much. Take a minute and do that. And then I want you to take this with you. Don't give this one to someone else. In fact, there's, there's way more of these cards. There's probably like a thousand of these in the lobby. And I want you to grab a stack of these on your way out. Because that's what ministers do, is we wait for opportunities and open doors, and we invite people to come and worship with the body of Christ, to participate in the works that we're doing here. So take a stack of those with you. But take this card that you wrote on and keep it somewhere where you will see it. Tuck it away in your purse or your wallet or in your phone case or something like that. And I want this to be a reminder to you that you are a minister of the Tri-Valley Church of Christ. And I want us to lean into these roles that will help us grow as individuals, but also as the body of Christ. That's it. So praise team, I want you guys to come back up here. And I want you to lead us in our closing song, which, uh, again, for the second week in a row, we're going to close with, We Are the Body of Christ. But this time, the background images you'll notice when we play this song are going to be of several of the ministers here at the Tri-Valley Church of Christ. Thank you to Brittany, one of the ministers here, who put together this slideshow. As we sing this song together, we are going to recognize one another and recognize the fact that we are a church made up of many, many ministers with a lot of good ministry efforts to do. So let's stand together and let's sing this song of worship.